an Advent four-part series that I'm calling Christmas According to Isaiah. And as we have talked about, this Advent is a way in which we collect many gifts from the great giver, gospel gifts that are shown to us in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. And in this particular case, obviously, we're in the Old Testament and particularly looking at insights and promises and great spiritual gifts from the book of Isaiah. Not all. There are still so many more. But these four, and there'll be one more in this series before we reach our culmination in the 12 days of Christmas. But now, and you notice also, perhaps you've sensed, there, there is coming a little bit more as we first start. It's anticipatory. It is a time of more reflection, and, and there is more mystery. But as we come closer and closer through Advent, we're marching backwards. We're walking backwards into Christmas. And we are beginning to feel more and more of the joy of it. And obviously in the caroling that we're going to be doing next week, uh, we'll have that opportunity to bring that joy. And, and the, the hymns will brighten to carols. And, uh, and so there is, a, there is a progression to lead us uh, to this focus. And so our scripture reading today comes from one of the great passages of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61, verses one through three, hear now the word of the Lord. 61, I believe we have, yes, we do. <laughs> we have the wrong uh, uh, passage, but I'll read it to you. I have it here. So um, just don't read, read from the screen. <laughs> just block it, block it off the screen, and uh, I'll read to you. Uh, the passage from Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, that's uh, there. So here, we, this Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and in the days of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, 
that he may be glorified. Let's ask God's blessing upon this his holy word. Father, once again, we ask for illumination and understanding from the reading of your word to these great gospel promises that long ago were foretold by the prophet Isaiah and also by the greatest prophet, your son. Father, we pray now that you will give us understanding and that you will show us more of your beautiful son. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, within a couple of weeks, as I mentioned to you, within a couple of weeks, we are going to be celebrating what we call Christmas, the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been over 2,000 years And we have been celebrating, remembering God the Father sent his beloved son into this world. But the, of course, question of all questions is why? Why did he come? Rick also touched on that as he was opening up for our service this morning. That question, we're going to be seeing a little more clearly, hopefully, of that question. Why did he come? Now, of course, a lot of people answer that question in disparate and various ways, uh, some of which are skeptical or believing uh, there is no value or nothing significant about that event so long ago. They think it has nothing to do with us in our modern times. But there are many, even in the church, that have a wrong understanding about why Jesus really came. A lot of people just think Jesus is here to be our handy-dandy fix-it man. Just when something's wrong, something's broken in our lives, uh, he's going to come in and fix that. Make it all better, and uh, it's all going to go away. Uh, or... Maybe more like, for some people, it's a personal wishing well. That Jesus is a, is a personal wishing well. We'd, all we got to do is just, just uh, you know, throw some coins in that direction and hopefully and wish hard that we'll get this and Jesus is going to somehow take care of all of that the way we, of course, want him to do. Well, there are a lot of other missing of the mark when it comes to this question. Why did he come? But Isaiah is going to help us with that. In today's text, we get help from the prophet Isaiah as to the reason for the season. Now, we see that phrase everywhere, but again, though we see it everywhere, most people don't really understand. Why? What was the reason of, for his coming? You need to remember that at the time that Isaiah was writing and receiving from God this prophecy that would later come to fulfillment hundreds of years later. At the time that he was receiving this prophecy, his people, his fellow 
Jews were in captivity in Babylon. And they were prisoners in a foreign land. They had been taken out. The vast number of them had been taken out and brought into captivity in Babylon. And yet, God's promises still come. In very, very difficult times, in such a time even as this, God told Isaiah things that he wanted his people to know about what he was going to do in the future. Now comes a promise that things are not going to always stay the same the way they have been for so long. You imagine if they had, you had been in Babylon for all of those years, 70 years, and waiting and waiting and waiting and weeping for your loss of your country, and yet being told it's not going to stay this way by the prophet. Very simple outline today. The promise made, the promise kept. Let's, let's consider that first one. The promise made. Now again, I want to read just part of this again because it's going to be echoed by the Lord Jesus later in the, in the section here. Uh, but listen again to Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Whoever this is, this figure is, has been anointed by the Lord to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, a couple of things need to be understood in order to make sense of this passage. The, the prophet announces liberation. You saw, heard that in the, in, the, in the text. To bring liberty or liberation that brings all kinds of blessings. This liberation is going to change things and bring things right side up again. It's going to change things. Furthermore, Isaiah says it brings with it something called the year of the Lord's favor. And of course, that has its roots in Leviticus chapter 25 and in other passages about the idea of the Jubilee and the 50-year celebration when which things, debts were canceled and which thing, it has its roots there and that is what is being referred to. Whoever this one that is going to come to fulfill this prophecy is going to do all that the Old Testament said the people of God were supposed to be doing, but most of the time they weren't doing it all. Instead of giving back the land and the 50, they were not doing it. They were finding ways to hold on to it. And yet when this true servant of the Lord comes, He's going to fulfill all those things that were supposed to be filled. All the blessings of fullness and liberty and freedom. You see, to our modern ears, though, the year of Jubilee sounds pretty far 
out of left field. Imagine <laughs> letting prisoners get out of jail. Aren't most of us opposed to that? I mean, most of us believe there is a place when people do bad things, they need to be incarcerated and got taken off the shelf because they are evil and acting bad. So we, we hear prisoners getting out of jail, canceling debts, what? <laughs> canceling debts? Haven't we recently been told that somebody wants to cancel all our student loan debts? Some of us are maybe excited about that. Some of us are not. But see, none of that is what this is talking about. It's not about those things at all. It's a matter of more like captives, not convicts. What I was describing are things that convicts should happen to them. But no, this is talking about captives that were captives in Babylon and who were going to be released by the promise of God. They were more like POWs, not not. As I said, convicts, completely different scenario. Now, what's up with this concept of the day of God's vengeance? Now, that's where it gets real interesting. All the rest of this a pretty basically uh, um, positive text, right? I mean, when this, when this servant of the Lord, this Messiah, is going to come, when he comes, he's going to do all this wonderful stuff and bring liberty and bring all these things and, and take away the garment of, of, of heaviness and put on a heart garment of praise, all of that kind of stuff. Really good stuff. But how in the world do we fit into that, this notion of the day of God's vengeance? How does that fit in such an otherwise positive passage. Well, one way that people deal with that, and, and I think you legitimately can, you, you can deal with it this way. It's not that it's wrong to say, well, there's a season and sometimes God is, comes in blessing and uh, in faithfulness with his people and when his people are wayward and run away from him like the prodigal did, there is sometimes judgment that is experienced. Matter of fact, that's what's going on right now. Even while the promise is being made, the reality is they are right. The people of God then were in captivity. They were being judged for their sins. The vengeance of God had come upon them because of their evil ways and doings. So it, it, this is what we call a popular split time concept. Some things, okay, now are going to be a blessing, but someday God is going to ultimately bring to justice and bring a world of justice and equity and righteousness. We know that. So in that sense, that's true, that there are seasons in God's plan and purpose for blessing, and there are curses. That, those things are not always, they don't, don't fold together. There's a time for one, time for the other. But I don't believe that's primarily 
the focus probably of what Isaiah is talking about here. I think it's best understood with the help of the context of the whole book of Isaiah. It's really circular. Judah has come full circle. They were blessed. They were praying for God to get their enemies and take care of those nasty Babylonians and Assyrians and Assyrians and and they wanted God to take care of that. They, they wanted God's vengeance to sick them. Go get those evil other nations. But they found out much to their chagrin that Judah became a pogo people. You know what I mean by pogo? Remember the famous cartoon? We have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. You see, that's what happened. God's covenant family, faithful people, had become the subjects of God's vengeance, and they were carried off into captivity. But the circle continues and returns, and now Once again, God's people are being promised, you will not stay here. You're not going to be under their heel forever. I'm going to raise up a king and a kingdom like that you have never imagined. And so it is the part of the whole pattern that I believe that is fits, therefore connected, of blessing and of vengeance when it's needed and judgment. Now, Let's look at the promise kept. The promise was kept, and Judah did eventually return. They did get out of captivity. They got a a get-out-of-jail-free card through Cyrus. And the walls of Jerusalem, they eventually were rebuilt under Nehemiah, and the temple was rebuilt under Ezra. You can read about those books and the books by their name, uh, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. But was that all? Or even was that primarily what this passage is saying? Well, not according to another prophet. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he was very familiar with this passage. And he brought it out in his hometown when he read from the scroll of Isaiah 61. Listen. To what he says. Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. And he came, meaning Jesus, to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now this is an exact pullout from Isaiah 61, our text. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Not something waiting. Oh, elements, aspects still to come and further flower. But it's that very promise by our, in our text was filled that day. Jesus was the one coming to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. What an amazing, amazing fulfillment and promise. You see, Jesus didn't come. We're back to that question. Why did Jesus come? He didn't come to free the Jews from the Roman control. They wanted that desperately, but he didn't come for that purpose. His beef was not with political authorities, but religious ones. As we've been seeing in our studies in the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be getting back to after the Christmas season. You see, if Jesus sought to accomplish political freedom, you know what? He was a miserable failure. <laughs> he didn't come for that. He wasn't a failure, was not a failure, because he didn't come for that reason. The Jewish temple and all that was contained in and about that system was to be demolished stone by stone. In A.D. 70, as part of the vengeance of our God. You see, what is the most important, if not the most central, express purpose of his coming? The simplest word you could put there is freedom. Freedom. Liberty. Liberation. Jesus came to bring the world a life-transforming message of freedom. I can't say that word without hearing the scream of William Wallace. Freedom! The year was 1972. A Christian young pe uh, and Christian young people from all over the United States uh, gathered in a place called Dallas, Texas, for an event that came to be called Explo Seventy Two. And I happened to go to that. I was a brand new Christian, only a few months, uh, maybe half a year, I guess, more like I, I was. Uh, had been a Christian, and I remember remember the, even the little jingly song, I'm going there, how about you, to explode 72, bum, 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 I'm going there, how about you, 
Expo 72, Billy Graham, Dr. Bright, everything at uh, Expo is going to be out of sight. I'm going there, how about you, to Expo 72. It was an amazing event. 100,000 people rocked into the Cotton Bowl and extra chairs and pulled all kind of, of, of religious uh, um, evangelicals uh, and, and uh, Billy Graham, Dr. Bright from uh, Campus Crusade days. Um, and one of the things that I noticed uh, there, there were all these people running around. A lot of them had these uh, uh, T-shirts. Um, and, of course, uh, they said on the T-shirt, Jesus the Liberator. Now, that's true if you understand, and the way they were using it, it is true. He is he is exactly it. That's the point. But Jesus, I mean, Jesus did come to liberate us and set us free. However, the Marxist then and that time and now, because they're still here, folks, they're still here, uh, they, they were always pushing for a different kind of liberation, a political liberation, a way to get Control and power. That's not the kind of liberty that Jesus was bringing. He was bringing not the needs of the nation, not the needs of our wants and desires or of our ambitions or of our power quest. He was not, he didn't come for any of that. He came to bring us liberty from the greatest oppression and that is our own sinfulness. We have broken his laws and crashed his world. And yet Jesus comes to bring his blessings known far as the curse is found. Jesus came to liberate us. First and foremost, and set us free from the oppression of our sin and the consequences that it brings. And to bring us, instead of what we deserve, forgiveness and grant us a righteous standing before a holy God that we could never, never stand before in our sinfulness. But he came to liberate and take away and bring true spiritual freedom. You see, spiritual freedom is a gift of the Son of God. You and I are no longer slaves if we know Jesus Christ and have put our trust in Him. We are no longer slaves, but sons and daughters of the King of the universe. And we are heirs with Jesus Christ. That means what we, he has, we get to enjoy with him. In all of the blessing, in all of the goodness, all of the righteousness that we do not inherently have, it is in him. And it now has become ours by grace through faith in Christ alone. You see, we are no longer slaves. You and I are free with no ifs, ands, or buts in the picture. Everybody else in the world always has, when they try to say, well, 
well, but, or, well, and, uh, well, you also need, no, 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 no if, ands, and buts. Free. Jesus came to set us free. I love the, uh, I, I think we've, I don't know if we've done this. So if we haven't, shame on us for not doing. Um, but uh, I think we have uh, done a couple of times, no longer slaves. Um, and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful, no longer, uh, and, and part of that lyric is, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That's what Jesus brought. That's what he came to bring. That's the freedom that he gives. And that is the greatest gift that we could ever have and ever need. You see, practically speaking, what does it mean to be free in Christ? If you're a Christian, you're free to live differently in the here and the now. You don't have to live at the the dictates of others. It means we are free from the rules we naturally think help us in our relationship to God. A lot of people think that the rules and trying to keep the rules and trying to do it right, that that's somehow going to give them a better standing before God. And that's not true. It's a lie. Put your doings down. Look to Christ. Christ is the gift that we need. We are free from the manipulation of other Christians who use things to make us like them. You don't have to be like someone else. You need to be who the Lord set you free to be. There's no need to wear masks. We don't need to have pretense. We do. I tell people all the time I, uh, through the years, and I've pushed quite a few of them in my time, called fig leaves. <laughs> Just imagine, remember Adam and Eve and their uh, attempt to... Remember? They were trying to hide themselves, cover themselves up. Why? Because they knew they blew it. They had sinned and they knew that they were now tainted and they were ashamed and they were trying to hide that. You and I are still doing the same thing our first parents did. Call it pushing fig leaves. I remember seeing this picture of Adam and Eve, it was, a, it was a drawing, basically. And again, it had them in, in all of their glory, whatever, but it was basically a projection. They were really hiding, scared, but they were trying to put forth an image that would say everything's okay. And we do that a lot. We, we put forth an image. I often would rather you see me the way I would like you to see me than the way I really am. Now, some of you that are married, you you find that's pretty hard to do uh, because your wife or your husband, uh, they they catch on and they know that too. But see, we we all, because of our shame, we, 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 we don't want to be open 
We need and use pretense. We wear masks. We push fig leaves. But the truth is, in Christ we are free to risk. But here's the most beautiful part of all. Here's one of the greatest gifts. Most of all, we're free to follow Christ, not because we have to, but because we want to. Now, should we follow Christ? Come what may? Absolutely. But when you, you know you're really free because you don't, it's not a matter that you're worried about somehow you want to. It's from the heart. It's natural. It's genuine. You want to honor him in all that you do. It advances his glory. And you do it for that reason, not because it keeps you out of trouble. You see, that's living free. That's real freedom. That's the freedom that Jesus came to bring. Sounds foreign, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It's hard to really believe that freedom is that free. Listen as I read from Hebrews 10, chapter 12, verse uh, 12 through 14. But when the, this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time one, not many, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Sat down not because he was tired. It's a way of saying, I've done it. It's, it's done. It's finished. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, what he did on the cross, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, you and I should be pursuing holiness but we can't make ourselves holy. The holiness that we need comes from Jesus and Jesus only. Listen again. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. That's you, child of God. That's me. That's you, mom. That's you, dad. That's you, child. If you know and trust Jesus, he has already made us perfect forever. And that's how God sees us. And that's why we are truly free. That's why we know and enjoy not just the year of the Lord's favor, but the foreverness of the Lord's favor because of Jesus who is still working on Making us not we've already been made perfect forever, but he's working on our holiness. He's bringing us more and more into 
the enjoyment of his favor and in ways that will please our great king. Remember, Jesus came to set you free, to allow you and me the laughter of the redeemed and to release us from our own self-imposed shackles. This is what Jesus said in John 8, 26. If the Son, Jesus, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Are you? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have freed us in Jesus. All of us who have embraced your Son and cried out for mercy when we deserved it not. In no way, and yet, Father, your mercy and freedom has been granted us. Perfection has been given us. And Father, now we, we have nothing that we can do to, to make any more of what is, needs to be done. It's all been done by Jesus. But Lord, how now help us to walk and live and serve him and his cause and his purpose now until the end of our days. And Father, with you in glory when you call or when you return. Father, we thank you for this promise of such freedom. Father, may we live more in joy and enjoy it day by day, moment by moment, and continue, Lord, to bring us into a more blessed experience of your forgiveness and of your holiness that you are making in us. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. Let's stand for...